Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very senior and respected banking and technology professional from Tokyo, Japan, Steve Monahan. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ashutosh. And a very senior doesn't mean that I'm really, really old. We've just established that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, I'm much older than you are. Uh, Steve <laughs> is the executive chairman of Human AI Private Limited. He has earlier been with, he was the earlier founding chief innovation officer of a DBS bank and has worked with Dell, Compaq, Citigroup, OCBC, Shinsel, DBS Bank, Riyadh Bank, and AIA. So, Steve, before we talk about banking, artificial intelligence, and fintech, tell me about your own amazing journey. Ashutosh, where to begin? Uh, I think I've been incredibly lucky just to work with some really good people through my life. And uh, as you know, we've both had exposure to Citibank folks who worked amongst some of the brightest minds uh, in the world back then. Um, but I began in the aviation industry. And the way I like to think of it in the modern context is, you know, I used to have to customize myself to fit with the the machine. Mm. Um, today, we're at the opposite end of that spectrum in AI, where now the AI is adapting itself to every individual. Mm. Um, but I, I came out of aviation and I taught myself a new technology at the time, which does make me old. Uh, it was Lotus One Two Three, mm -hmm. and very few people actually understood it. But I started developing quoting models and all that sort of thing, and uh, I would fly at night and run the business during the day and uh, and business boomed. And so I, I learned a very valuable lesson right at the very beginning of my career, which is mm -hmm. that technology arbitrages time. And as I then moved across into the software industry and people started building front ends around my logic models, and mm -hmm. then I moved in and, and to Dell and had the opportunity to help open up Dell across Asia Pacific mm -hmm. and build their pricing models and run their product groups. And I started to see, as you start moving between industries, mm. how there's a lot of commonality uh, in the way that you apply technology and the way that you run business. Mm. Uh, so I went from uh, the hardware industry, uh, software industry, hardware industry, and the technology space, and then I moved across to banking. I asked uh, Citigroup after working in India to turn mm. around the the business uh, for a compact, which was number four, unprofitable, and um, I was given, had a very generous boss who said, you can either fix or close it and close isn't the option. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I went over and spent some time and I really tried to understand the mm. Indian market through observation. Then I met, and of course, you know, some very, very smart folks over there. Mm. And then I took all my lessons back and then reconfigured the product to the, you know, financial supply chain. And uh, we went from number four in the market to number one overnight. And mm -hmm. well, sorry, within a quarter, that's overnight in tech terms. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just checked actually before we we spoke and, uh, you know, HP who bought Compaq is now still number one in India. Absolutely. So I was, I was quite surprised, uh, but it seemed to have left the lasting legacy being able to deconstruct cost mm -hmm. and finance mm -hmm. and then reorganize and design product to fit with financial optimization. Uh, and then I moved, of course, into banking and uh, and had some great experiences at DBS and OCBC, Riyadh, et cetera. Mm. Um, and now I'm I'm lucky to sit on the board of a bank in the UAE, which gives me you know my first view across an entire organization from a, a governance standpoint, which has been a, a fascinating and rewarding journey. Mm. And I'm at that stage in life now where I'm uh, really appreciate appreciative of what I've been through. You know, mm. I've invested in lots of companies and things now and 
And now I think like yourself, I'm looking at how do I give back? So I'm looking now at the field of economic transformation, pretty much the same MO. Fascinating, fascinating. And tell me a little bit about Human AI Private Limited. So Human AI is, is a new company. It's still pretty much under wraps, but you know what we're looking at doing is working out how to improve the economics of an economy by accelerating the velocity of money in that economy. Mm. Uh, and when you run through that, you know, you've come up against some really interesting paradigms. Uh, for instance, most uh, executives across Asia Pacific are paid every 30 days, mm. which effectively means if I look at it from a clinical transaction standpoint, that they're creditors to their companies for 30 days, they're giving up their cash flow for the company. And uh, when you deconstruct that, you realize that, you know, if you actually had that cash flow, you would pay off your 30-year mor mortgage mm. five years earlier, you know, a whole range of things. And mm. that money flows from high cost individual credit to very low cost, you know, multinational credit or government, you know, if you're a government worker, you're actually, you know, JG, uh, Japanese government bonds, et cetera. So the, the funding costs are much lower. So you've got this pure capital destruction layer baked into every economy around the world, mm. which disadvantages the poorest. And I, I want to change that because it makes no sense in the modern world and the tools, legislation, et cetera, is all in place to go and fix it what isn't there is the knowledge and and that's the piece that i'm focused on now amazing so you we may just start to see our salaries coming in every day now you know every second of every, every day amazing. that's our objective fascinating so uh steve let's talk a little bit about ai banking and finance with the kind of focus uh, that artificial intelligence is getting around the world how do you see ai shaping the banking and finance sectors I always look upon AI as not so much artificial, but augmented intelligence. Okay. And I think that, you know, what has created this, you know, banking system as we know it today is, is you know, generations of very smart people. Um, and what we need to do with AI and, and technology in general is to encode that knowledge mm -hmm. and scale it. Um, the difference in banking versus the technology industry is this is what we expect to do in the technology industry. And so we will actively, you know, reduce our revenue, you know, our, our revenue or our prices mm -hmm. with the view of being able to make it up on the growth side. Mm -hmm. Very few financial institutions actually have that growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that is one of the limitations of, of what's possible with technology is, is more the human factor than, you know, what it's actually capable of. But AI is is really a, an you know an additional scaling mechanism to work out how you can take the the best and the brightest and and really scale that output you know to the market. And the way that I really like to think about it is you have you know these huge repositories of data in financial institutions which sit there as an expense on the balance sheet. And what AI gives us the opportunity to do is to take that data and make it valuable, not just for the company, but also for our customers. Mm. And the moment that you you start, particularly with the customer value in mind, uh, then that gets you into the growth mindset uh, frame in addition to you know really being able to scale that benefit mm. and create the right controls around that data uh, that protects consumer interest. Mm. Fascinating. And therefore, your response gives me the segue to my next question, which is, how do you see AI, see AI transforming customer experience? That's a really interesting one. Um, I think that, you know, from what I've studied over many years and, and taking inspiration from some of the, the great tech leaders is, you know, 
looking at the psychology of why we buy. And we buy as human beings, we make emotional decisions, we justify them with logic and we take action when it's easy. So I call that ESE, experience, the emotional engagement, simplicity, which is cognitive, and ease, which is effort, minimum mm -hmm. type swipe, swipes, words. What AI does is if you think about the way we were designing customer experiences just you know a year ago, um, it's very different now. You know, because in the same way that Steve Jobs changed the interaction model with swipes mm -hmm. for technology and made that technology accessible to two new generations of users, mm -hmm. you know, young kids and yeah. and uh, and older folks, mm -hmm. um, AI is actually doing that at, at a whole new level, mm -hmm. uh, being able to actually you know customize response at every level to every type of person, you know, right. be it an eight-year-old or a 60-year-old. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about AI and customer experience uh, is actually that I think old people, for the first time in technology, have an advantage mm -hmm. because they know how to ask the right questions. Amazing. So I think it's a very interesting shift from mm -hmm. a customer experience standpoint. Amazing. What a great response. Thank you. The other question, Steve, that I've often asked people in technology and in AI is what are the ethical considerations that need to be taken into account while implementing AI in financial services? You know, I think that is not just restricted to financial services. Yeah. I think um, there's a book that was recently released um, by Mustafa Suleiman, who was one mm -hmm. of the co-founders of, of DeepMind. Mm -hmm. And he, he does a great job in covering off all of those, you know, tensions, natural tensions between how you use technology for good and evil in the same way as we experience technology today with cybercrime and, right. and also the benefits that it brings. Um, but I think really the, the ethical consideration for me is always to make sure that if you're, if your first objective is looking at, you know, your value to the customer, then that kind of guides and constrains you to ethical exploit, right? So if you're, objective is for your own benefit as mm. your primary and then chances are you're not going to end up with the same sort of outcome mm. and that places additional risk in the system mm. so i think that you know obviously with any ai development you know if you start with you know i always call it time to value and then time to market and then time to scale mm -hmm. so if you start with that time to value you know value point one is is there value for the customer and unless you get to the value for the customer don't do it because mm. then it's not going to be valuable for you then go down the route of you know looking at how you use that to create value mm -hmm. for uh, for the company and, and then for the other stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So you know I think if you if you basically have a culture and ethos that begins at that level, then you're well placed to stick and create the the appropriate um, ethical fences around the use of AI because like any technology, it can be used for good or evil. Mm -hmm. Well said. And what are some of the emerging trends? in digital banking that you are personally most excited about? I think we're about to embark on a fundamental shift from productivity to optimization, you know, facilitation to optimization, if you'd like to think of it that way. We've, we've focused how to make things faster and easier, but we haven't really started to take the, the financial expertise mm. and put that in the customer's hands yet. So we've given customers tools to make their banking easier, but we haven't really helped them maximize the value of finance, you know, because banking sits at the very heart of that. And that's what 
is particularly exciting for me is looking at that whole financial optimization piece. And I think, you know, uh, in line with what I'm doing at Human AI, you know, the focus of being able to use finance in a smart way mm. um, could benefit billions of people around the world. And mm. that really excites me. Mm. Very interesting. Steve, you're also an investor in many organizations. Um, when you look at investing in multiple companies, what do you look for before you make an investment? And a follow-up question, how do you balance risk? That's a phenomenal question. I wish I had the correct answers, mm -hmm. so I can only answer with my own answers. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I actually look for in a founder is humility and then grit. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're not humble, you can't learn. And this space is moving so fast. If, if you can't learn, then you're not in the game to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, Every startup that I, I know or am invested in, friends you know, directly or friends that have, et cetera, they've all had their moments where they've almost died. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in reality, experiential learning is the most powerful form of learning. So if you can get a company through that, you've usually paved the way for you know, later greatness. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you know, at every, every stage of the, that process, you know, right up to pre-IPO, companies almost fail, mm. never due to, you know, foreseeable, it's like an air accident. There are all these little pieces that kind of add up mm. and then, you know, the serendipity at, at one point takes control. Right. Um, so I, I really look for entrepreneurs that can be responsive to that. And then I look at the quality of, of the business and does it fit something that fits within my view of what's needed in the world, mm. then how could we, you know, how could we help to, you know, scale and, and get the company to actually achieve that objective? Mm. Um, and they're the primary things that mm. I look for. Mm -hmm. So part of it's driven by my own uh, interest in solutioning. And the other part is, is mm. driven by my interest in the entrepreneur. Mm. And are there any sectors that you like to stay in or are you sector agnostic? Relatively sector agnostic. I've focused in on fintech lately, okay. um, uh, but I was in health tech and I love that. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I did invest in a great entrepreneur that uh, unfortunately had to sell the company in the latest downturn, mm -hmm. even though what he was doing was brilliant. He was very early stage into uh, microRNA, but from a hardware perspective. Uh, and you know, creating some of the tool sets, which mm. will go on to go and save lives. I primarily invested, in, you know, with the other folks I invested with. I said our worst possible outcome is we're going to save lives, mm. and that mission accomplished. Mm. Um, but I, I really felt for the entrepreneur, having put in seven years, and it was because his father had died of pancreatic cancer. Mm. Um, so he was really mission driven, and you know, to see that weight <laughs> being borne by him was was right. a really really tough thing to observe. But you know, I think his technology will live on, and uh, and he's still working for for the acquiring company. Um, nice. But it would have been great to see that go all the way through. Fabulous. And uh, how does your experience uh, as a banker influence your decisions as an entrepreneur? That's an interesting question. I think what banking did for me is give me a more holistic outcome uh, outlook on the whole network of finance. You know, uh, in the tech industry, I understood those networks quite well uh, from a tech perspective, but I hadn't really looked at how that ecosystem interacts and how economies operate, and et cetera. So when I you know, take that knowledge as a banker, I think, you know, the number one discipline uh, that I've taken with me is risk management. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm very, very 
conscious around risks to a business. Um, there's always that fine line between letting an entrepreneur run versus, you know, looking at how you put that right risk framework. But when risk happens, it happens very quickly. So often, you know, it's around preparation, not necessarily remediation. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's probably the most important lesson that I've taken from banking uh, into entrepreneurial land. Fascinating. And what, in your view, is the role fintech can play in promoting financial inclusion? Uh, financial inclusion, I used to work on microfinance portfolios, uh, mm -hmm. which I found fascinating. And I just thought it was, you know, this is a problem that could be solved. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are two things that that drive that. And one thing that fintech is, is very clearly aimed at yeah. is cost to serve. Uh, the moment you can get the cost to serve down and remove all of that friction, then you're, you're in a much better place. Mm -hmm. The second is the piece that I'm trying to work on now, which is looking at the, you know, my my view is if you want to get the poor out of poverty, pay them. Mm -hmm. The moment you don't pay them, they have to take out very high cost debt to mm -hmm. get through till payday. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so the biggest thing we could actually do is actually realign that paradigm, mm -hmm. and that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and what's interesting about that, you know, if you take uh, Japan as an instance, and and this isn't certainly you know prevalent in a lot of the emerging markets. But in most mature markets, the government actually guarantees employee income, which means it's actually the lowest cost risk. Mm. But yet these individuals are paying the highest cost for their debt. Right. And, and I find that a very interesting inefficiency to go and solve. At a different level where you don't have that sort of regulation, mm. uh, still with the right insolvency laws and you know with a basic framework of law, it's mm. still very safe debt on the income side. Mm. So as long as you find solutions for that, you'll still be advantaged in those markets. Mm. So that's the whole area that I, I'm really focused on now to look at how you solve this very obvious inefficiency when you articulate it. But mm. again, when it's not being done before, the first answer everyone gives you is no. Yeah. And I, I view my entire role in my career as turning no into no into now, which is the yeah. same four letters throughout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. fascinating. So uh, I've got time for two more questions for you. My next question is, what new technology-driven financial solutions, in your view, are the most promising? I think the most interesting ones are that put that focus on increasing value for the customer and increasing their financial wherewithal. I, I think that right now we're focused, as, as I've discussed, very much internally. And I think the moment that we now look at creating that efficiency outside and in the customer's hands, then this is the most interesting area for me. And there are quite a few fintechs that do look at how to increase the value equation for, for uh, individuals. Um, but I see that happening at a much bigger scale with what's happening in AI. Mm -hmm. And my last question to you, Stephen, this is for the many people who will listen to our conversation. A lot of them are startup entrepreneurs. Based on your understanding of technology, of finance, fintech, risk, and your being an investor in so many different startups, what would you say are three lessons for a startup founder? The biggest lessons are, you know, to temper your enthusiasm with reality. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, reality is a very hard thing. You always, you have this very clear vision of what's happening in the future mm -hmm. uh, or what's possible in the future, but you have to be very grounded in the reality of today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so patience, patience sounds like a bad word for an mm -hmm. entrepreneur, but yeah. I really think it's important because while you've got to hustle and make things happen, you also mm. have the patience to make sure that you're putting the right things in place to be mm. successful. Mm. And so that would be number one. Yeah. Uh, the second is, you know, it's as important to stay focused on what's going on around you as it is on what's happening in your business. Mm. Because technology is moving so quickly, your chance of missing a market without continuous adaptation is, is very high. Mm. So it's, you know, it's to really focus on what's important. And it's very easy to try and rush rush solutions to market to bridge mm -hmm. that gap, but you always end up paying that price later. Mm -hmm. um, so if you if you can really focus in and and look at how you build quality from right. the ground up, I, I think that's uh, equally important. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Uh, and on that note, Steve, and your wonderful lessons, temper enthusiasm with reality, patience is very critical. And third, when you said was stay focused. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your one amazing journey. I loved how many different sectors and how many different industries you have worked in. And you seem to have brought it all together in Human AI Private Limited and all the support you're giving to so many startups. Thank you for talking to me about banking, augmented intelligence, uh, AI and other factors, about uh, in, you know investors, startups, and fintech. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you, Ashtush, and I think your own background is far more interesting than my own, but appreciate the chance to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.